Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. Hey, good afternoon. This is News for the Heart. And I'm kind of excited because this has been, it's been, I don't know, it's been a little while anyway. It has to been close to two years that I've had Jeff Brown on, but he has come out with a great novel called An Uncommon Bond. Um, I interviewed Jeff, well, quite a few years ago now on his first book called Soul Shaping, A Journey of Self-Creation. And in this book, it was all about his, well, it was an autobiography, and it was all about his journey. And although An Uncommon Bond is a novel, um, it is definitely based on an experience that he had that he did share in Soul Shaping. And, you know, it was it was a really good an interesting read. I don't want to spoil the novel for you, but I do want to go over a lot of the concepts and um, interesting pieces that I thought were unique um, to the story. And I really, you know, I really appreciated your candor. There was a lot more juiciness um, in this story than uh, in his uh, soul shaping. And I think that... Um, obviously makes the story. Again, we're not going to necessarily talk about the novel, but we are going to go through a lot of the concepts that um, the novel sort of brought up and are very important in having more conscious relationships. So welcome, Jeff. Lori, it's a pleasure to be with you. I always enjoy doing your show. Mm-hmm. So one yeah, of the talk first thing... about the novel. I mean, I don't want to talk about the ending, but I can certainly talk about the novel itself. Just so sure. You know. Well, the yeah. relationship and all that you learned from it, because that was your taking from it. I mean, it was your experience that you wrote a novel on, and um, yeah. But yes, we yeah. Don't I mean, there's there's the there's the experience that in, one of the experiences that inspired the the story, and then there's the difference between those experiences, in fact, and the story itself. But the the inner journey is is markedly similar. That's for sure. Right, right. Yeah. So, not all love connections are created equal. We've got practical ones. We've all seen those. The pathology and old trauma ones. That I don't know the more the um, karmic relationships are opportunities to heal. And then we have, then we get into some interesting concepts that you have, which is the mystical and sacred. And you have two definitions of soulmate. One was S-O-L-E mate and S-O-U-L mate. And then the uncommon bond. Let's, let's kind of talk about all of them because I think they're all, important obviously this book is about you know the mystical and sacred and the uncommon bond that that can be created uh, but let's talk about them which one shall we talk about first <laughs> well um i think we know the difference between the karmic relationships and the soul relationships but why do don't we do we well, let's talk about I don't that know. 
Yeah, we none of us know anything about this, actually, and myself most certainly included. Um, and I do say in the author's note at the end that I think we have to be a little careful about, I mean, it's it's wonderful to talk about it, but we also have to be careful about affixing to, and to certain ideas around, you know, definitive ideas around the distinctions between these relationships, because I think we're only at the beginning of understanding this field of inquiry, you know. You know, it's all we most of us can do to manage our own material and find language for it in the psycho-spiritual community. And you start to get into various forms of dynamic and the unique ways in which they are framed and experienced. It's, um, you know, it's just a good time to talk about it and without um, reaching a stage where we feel absolute certainty about them. So, you know, I mean, what was clear to me in my journey, and certainly it came clear to me in the writing of the book, about relationship journey was that, you know, there is this this movement. There are certain dynamics that do seem to be like a call from essence and a call to our essence that seem to go deeper than just something that's practically oriented or psychologically oriented um, as the basis for attraction. And, you know, the feeling that there's something deeper at work, some sense of familiarity perhaps, or certainly, at the very least, the, know, the knowing in the, in the interaction that there is some profound possibility for transformation that lives at the heart of them. And, um, you know, to me, that's really the realm of relationship that I think I was writing about here. An uncommon bond, as Gene Ochterberg defined it, and as I presented it in the back of the book, you know, has a very distinct, you know, form of soulmate. Brand. I mean, it's like... You know, a lot of people will talk about soulmating as a very positive experience. That is, that they found someone that feels deeply familiar, and they really don't go into a lot of really horrifyingly uncomfortable shadow terrain, and somehow they just feel a sense of home, and that that lingers for many years or even a lifetime. You don't hear a lot about that, but you hear something about it. And my experience of this thing we can, for the moment, call an uncommon bond has been that it really is such a deep penetration of the ecstatic uh, realms, that it also becomes a deep penetration of the shadow realms, and that you end up swimming in the soup of the collective, which in my experience has been as light-filled as it has been shadow-filled, and there's really no way to sidestep the shadow in that experience. And so, But, you know, that's not everybody's idea of what a soulmate journey has been. People think it's really a much more pleasant experience, and who am I to tell them that's not true? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think... I mean, I don't know from that, but it doesn't mean it's not their experience, you know. And so it's, and then, you know, you, you deal with and interact with twin flame people, and they'll claim that their experiences are quite similar to the Uncommon Bond experience, and then when I get into the nitty-gritty of description, it actually feels often quite different to me. So, so very interesting terrain. I... Yeah, I would agree. And honestly, I know that there are people out there that talk about, you know, the soulmate and um, they they have such a romantic vision of what that looks like. Um, I think it, you know, it becomes such much, much more of the mental process that you talk about versus the heart process, because it's just this mental image that society... Um, views as the ideal relationship and I don't know many Happ people that have, ever after. Oh yeah. <laughs> like that there's nothing after once you meet. The hard part is the meeting part and it's like, oh my <laughs> I, You know, it's it's but again, I'm I mean, as a general statement, I'm comfortable saying that for the most part 
if you're going to have a conscious relationship, you will not be able to sidestep the shadow material. Um, because that's the stage we're at as a collective. So, I mean, how do you sidestep the collective, you know? Um, having said that, there are people who claim to have met their soulmate and who may have been healthier than I was, um, and somewhat healthier than the average person in the collective, and have been able to have go through some bumps along the way, but do get along very beautifully well and have a deeper sense of purpose together. And But yeah, I mean, I think at this stage of human development, it's reasonable to say that we should remove the expectation um, of ultimate soulmate from the table um, and just for the most part focus on just finding connections that grow us. And I think probably we just be better off that way. Um, <laughs> mostly because so many people wander around the world not having found that um, media-ingested image feeling like failures in their lives. And I think that, I mean, I'm not really convinced that this is really a stage in human development where that kind of ultimate vision of relational possibility is, is actualizable for most people. Um, and again, there are exceptions to it, but I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's all most people can do to figure out what their stuff is and make it through the day believing in themselves and finding value in the moment and, you know, disconnecting from the internalized shame that they've brought, been brought forth from the culture. And then to try to imagine taking all that stuff and mixing it with someone else's stuff and finding eternal bliss just seems kind of stupid in most cases, um, except for the rare few that claim that they have found it. So it's, it's hard to make a definitive statement. Um, I mean, one thing I know from working with clients, and I know you work with people as well, it's that you know, if we could just, like, focus on growing all the time, you know, we might get close to that. But if we keep fixating on that vision of possibility, um, it often just becomes an obstacle to, to a more satisfied life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. that, yeah, that that definitely is part of the illusion and part of the problem. Um, and quite honestly, all relationships if they're looked at consciously, have the ability to grow. Um, and, I mean... Uh, pro probably, right? I mean, this is, people often write me, I have a term, wound mates, which, you know, the term wound mate has drawn more energy than any of the other terms in the dictionary to back. And because people are really simply at a stage where they're trying to figure out, am I in a wound mate relationship? Or is this potentially a growthful soul-driven relationship? And, I mean, what a great question, you know, what's the distinction between a wound-mate relationship? And, and it probably is uh, conscious intentionality, you know, that let's say the two people find themselves trapped in their stuff together and they're caught in their triggers together. And it's, as you and I both know, we've, we seem to encounter that often in ourselves and those we know. And, and then there's a decision to be made, and the decision has to be made on both of their parts. If one of them makes a decision, we often see that happen. Let's get to work. Let's go do counseling. Let's go do workshops. Let's, and the other one says, I'm not interested. There's nothing wrong with me. I'll fix this myself. And, you know, the whole story. Yeah. That ultimately becomes probably what I call the wound-mate dynamic. They're attached at the waist, W-A-S-T-E, because if, if the person, if one won't go to the conscious path, the conscious one has to come back to the unconscious one if they're going to stay together right. in some form or other. And, you know, the conscious relationship, the whole-mate connection, the S-O-L-E soul-mate connection is the one that has a willingness to really take the bait of the trigger material and get to work trying to transform internally. Um, 
And, and not that it's an easy path, because I do believe that the more profound the inherent nature of the connection is, the more the shadow that comes up is not just from our individual life history or even our past life history, but is also the material of the collective. So the jealousy you begin to feel is not just about that, that your mummy was focusing on your brother at the age of seven and you developed a jealousy trigger. <laughs> to me, it also has to do with the collective jealousy material that we're all holding. And, you know, it's quite something for two people to try to work that piece out because that's big. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big collective. Yeah. It's a big collective. It's courageous and beautiful work, but you can see why a lot of people just say, you know, it's just not worth the trouble. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's true. Is it worth the trouble, Laura? Well, is it worth the trouble? I, I believe it is, but I also believe in conscious relationships, and I know I felt. Okay a soulmate relationship. Um, but like you, you can't do anything if the person doesn't want to recognize it. Now, maybe there was part of it as being a wound made as well, but there was a part of it that where the connection was incredibly mystical. And I don't know, it's, you know, but it's interesting, the mystic, I mean, what we call the mystical, I mean, so often connections I've worked with, and even in my own experience that have that mystical quality were spiritual bypass relationships where they, for whatever reason, that couple could somehow get up and off the earth plane in the dynamic and float some other place that had a ecstatic and, of course, very dark underbelly often. Um, and what they loved about it and why they were attached to it is because it was a wonderful escape from this reality. And... So my, you know, and, and yet at the same time, there are some connections that do take us, catapult us into this uh, almost like a sky consciousness, like a unity framework. And yet at the same time, some of those couples are able to land them, S-O-L-E, soulmates, ground them on this earth plane, and then become homemates. That is that they can do sky and earth together, and they're here for the entire experience. And but you see in a lot of the New Age relationships, none of that is happening. They're just floating away doing a so-called non-dual field. And when they come down to the earth plane, they're just dueling all right. because none of that material gets resolved and worked through. And those relationships start to look like some kind of a fraudulent drug trip. Um, <laughs> so what's real in all of this is, I guess, the question. And if we go deeply enough into the question, that's really, it's hard to find that answer. I, think we don't, I don't think we know enough yet. And you know, I mean, I can identify connections I've been in where I was, like, tripped out on soul-gazing and, and, you know, seeing essence in the eyes of the mirror of the soul and went to some place, and, 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 it, and it felt deeply true. I went someplace, but at the same time, the moment we got to know one another on a person, personality level and our personal histories, we found that we actually didn't have very much in common. So, you know, it's all true, but not really the basis for a sustainable relationship if you can't meet on the earth plane, right? Right. And we know that. I mean, we know that, right? Right. It has to land It has to land somewhere at some point along the way. <laughs> Definitely. And, and that yeah. becomes, I guess, the guiding post. But it is difficult to, under, to see the subtleties of the differences because there are huge subtleties. I mean, it, it, it's hard to know. There are. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Because so often the most um, profoundly immediate ecstatic union connections, so often, and you know, you, I know you've probably experienced this, and I know that I have, prove ultimately to be the most 
horrifying connections by the end of them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, were they just bypass things where ultimately we came crashing back down to the level of our unresolved material? Is that what happened? You know, or is it just that the world is not yet at the stage where it can hold those connections safe in that deep, subtle vulnerability? Because, you know, when you open like that, you are more vulnerable with that human, perhaps than you were even as a baby with your parents, for God's sakes. And right. and then you're dealing with the pace of the culture and the insensitivity and harshness of the collective. It's still not a soft and subtle bed to land on, this world, for most of us. And I remember in the original connection the Uncommon Bond Connection I had in 98, we kept saying we have to we have to buy, go live on a mountaintop away from the world in order to do this. And I know Stephen and Andrea Levine, who I love, who did wonderful relationship work, wrote Embracing the Beloved. They, you know, they live in Santa Fe and kind of in their own world. And I think that for them, that was an important way of cultivating, being able to develop their connection as, as spiritual practice, because doing it in the heart of the world is not that easy. I mean, is that it? I mean, we just at a stage where the only way to have a profound, sustainable soulmate connection is to divorce ourselves from this harsh world. I don't know. Maybe. I think a lot of people that that have that type of relationship probably do. Yeah, they do. And then you wonder how real it is. Well, if it can't sustain yeah. itself in the heart of the world. I right. mean, so this is, you know, I mean, we're having a show we're talking about. It's an inquiry, really, more than it's anything. <laughs> well, it is, though, because it is such a new phenomenon. It's, you know, this is not the relationships our parents had. This is not the relationship, you know, that we grew up trying to understand. And it's right. certainly not, you know, the fantasy that the media portrays. I mean, this is, no. this is something completely different. And... You know, that's why I loved your book. I mean, you really kind of got to the heart of, you know, some of what we can expect, some of what we, you know, what, you know, the guidelines, like this is, this is kind of what we need to do is to look at the guidelines of what new relationships are. And it's, you know, you kind of touched on so many different things. Um, I wanted to make it real, or, you know, I didn't want to. It, because it is, and I, I didn't want the offering to be um, ungrounded. You know, I wanted it to be like, okay, here's how profound this opening can be, and this is true, because I ultimately believe that the relational portal is the ultimate path, uh, and it, that it may be the most fluid and depthful path to divinity. This whole patriarchal lone wolf meditation warrior vertical model alone in the cave to God thing is so boring to me and in my my life experience it, it as profound as those unity moments were they were nothing compared to the colorful galaxies that I felt co-created in dynamics so this whole thing my booby and my lineage of women around me who kept talking about the importance of relationship the horizontal model um, that I shunned and shamed as an armored masculine now was revealed eventually to be quite wise that in fact I think that is the direction to go that we're not just here together to keep each other company we're here together to, to show each other God that we are the portal um, which is a whole different lens on reality than the patriarchal vertical spiritual model with him, you know Eckhart sitting on his cushion just going higher and <laughs> watching his emotions on the other side of the room and calling that you know awakening um, that you know, the feminine horizontal going into the pain body, transforming the feelings, opening the heart, releasing the feelings, coming back for more, growing and transforming through dynamic is, to me, is the right direction. But it's, 
it makes sense why you know you're you got a better shot doing the you know the parents were doing survivalist the whole culture's been based on survivalism we defined who we are by what put food on the table and our relationships were organized around practicalities duty obligation survival basic principles of keeping going we're now beginning the authenticity journey that is who are we really not who are we to put food on the table but who you know who are we really below the masks adaptations and disguises that's also true on a relationship field so we're at the very beginning of it, and mm-hmm. the best advice you can give people who want a sustainable relationship is go make a practical marriage choice um, based on duty and obligation. You've got a way better shot of lasting than you do with an authenticity-based relationship model, especially at this stage. Yeah. When you want to last, go you know, get an arranged marriage and, and do it duty-bound and be linked to the family lineage, all that stuff, because this is a hard path. Now, the rewards you know, are remarkable. But you've got to be willing. For most of us, unless you're lucky, somehow made it through unscathed or something. I don't know how that happened, but if it did, um, this is hard work, yeah. you know, because we're uncovering. We're at the beginning of the uncovering of the authentic self after centuries of it being bl- uh, covered over. So you know, we're for those of us who brave it now are a hundred years from now. I really believe they'll have an easier time of it than they do now because. Because now we're doing it, and we don't even have cultural structures in place to support this yet. We're just beginning to form support structures for this. Right. The idea of conscious relationship is a new concept. Right. The last, you know, I mean, it's the last 20 or 30 years, but I think it's really normalizing or beginning to normalize now in the last year or two, actually. I hear much more about it than I ever did before in the mainstream. Right. And, you know, it's funny because... <sighs> I don't know. I was always drawn to Tantra and not, you know, not the westernized, um, again, I guess. More, Genital obsessed. Well, yeah, exactly. It, 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 you know, and, and also a bit more patriarchal because that's how we made it patriarchal by, um, right. right? Um, and yeah. it was all about control and manipulation again because um, somehow it got, you know, Put in there with the um, oh, I don't even remember. Oh, the Kumasatra. Um, somehow they got related and that they, they were both one. But I mean, as far as I knew and as far as I understood, and maybe I understood it differently. But you know, Tantra really is one of the last goddess teachings, and it's all about being able to become enlightened through union, and. I don't know. I've always kind of seen that as the ideal. Yes, except that uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, to me, it makes the most sense. I mean, it's conditioned into the feminine that that's the ideal. You know, that's part of the reverse side of the conditioning. It's like men occupy one polarity and women occupy that polarity. I have come to believe that that's true, actually, what you just said. Um, <laughs> but I also believe that it really. So much of this comes down to, you know, I get challenged a lot because I'm challenging ideas of consciousness. I'm challenging Tole. I'm challenging. And the reason I do it is because I believe at the end of the day, after everything else is resolved on this planet, the last debate will be consciousness. What is healthy consciousness? What is an inclusive consciousness? What is a whole way of being where nothing is left out? So the debate really then becomes when you use the word enlightenment, or we use the term enlightenment, an enlightened consciousness, what are we talking about? You know, So often it's been bypass-oriented. That is, it's this yeah. state of blissful, ec- ecstatic disconnect um, 
which of course is nothing more than a bypass of reality. So, right. and that's why I make up terms like enrailment. I mean, it's kitschy, but I'm trying to say something, which yes. is that my vision of it is that really the direction we need to go is towards something inclusive. We don't want to go there. I mean, it's easy to sell non-duality to the masses because nobody wants to feel the dualities anymore. It's too uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, how can we have a whole consciousness experience without being here for all of it, um, including the embracing and healing of the pain body itself? So, you know, to me, it's almost like common sense thinking. And how do we bring that into the relational field so that we're together and yet we're not just going for the joy, but we're also understanding that we're trying to use relationship as an excavation tool to penetrate the everything so that we can both as individuals and on the relational bridge be here for all of it. And, you know, in, in which case, you know, you don't leave each other when you stop getting butterflies in the soul-gazing moment or when you're not cracking open to unity because now you have a memory of a jealousy trigger with that person because of whatever's happened between you and and sticking it all the way out to the end of it so that we're here for everything. And it's complicated because it's an uncomfortable world to be here for all of it. So you can see the temptation to use relationship just like individual spiritual practice as an avoidance tool. And But, you know, how far does it get us? You know, so what ends up happening is you have a bunch of people like who are perfection. They've perfected a singular thread of consciousness, say meditation or you know, any form of, or shamanism, any form of witnessing, anything. And then they, we call them spiritual. And for me, that's not spiritual. So the spiritual ones are the ones who can be here for everything, not the ones who've perfected one part of it. And and again, how do you do that in relationship without it being a very hard-ass spiritual practice? Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know. And then you find these people again, and I keep coming back to them because I'm I'm almost confused by them, who... They just meet each other and they just like love each other and they're able to be present for things and they don't need to work on things all the time and they don't they just don't trigger each other. I mean, this is so complicated because sometimes you meet someone you love so much and they trigger the shit out of you. Um, and sometimes you meet people who you and they just don't trigger you. And it used to be common sense. Why would you be with someone who triggered you? <laughs> right? It doesn't right. make any sense. But then, of course, now we understand why it makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't happen like that for everyone. And and the thing that I'm worried about now is we're becoming so, um, in the spiritual and psychological communities, so willing to stand in the fire of the triggers that we've, on the other side of it, lost the common sense thinking, which is maybe this is just not a fit. Right, right. right. And I think Not everything is worth mining. Right, right. right. I think you that's know, codependence a especially. Too. Right. Codependents will will cling together and convince themselves to have a million reasons to stay together because they're codependent, right? And the yeah. common sense approach of the therapist says, you know, you two have been fighting for forty four years. Maybe it's enough already. <laughs> right. It's lost. And the question, yeah. of course, would have been, you know, were you growing with that or were you just fighting with it? I mean, right, and, right, nice, right, right. <laughs> nice. No, I like that. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, we want to go where we grow, you know, and and I get that sometimes you need to stay stuck in something, and this is where it gets complicated again, you need to stay stuck in something for a long time until you finally have enough of that pattern and turn it upside down or something, and, but then there are, you know, so people ask me, how do you define a wound mate? So I have a wound mate definition at the back of the book, it's simple enough, but, you know, how do you really know when it's time to go, um, or when it's really time to stay, and I, I mean, I, you can't really answer that for somebody else, but I, my answer usually is the bones know. You 
know, you mm. have to be in touch enough with your intuitive knowing and the bones of your being to know the answer to that question. And, you know, which means you have to have lived enough and made enough mistakes to know the difference. And because how do you have a sweeping answer for every single person? It's difficult. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, physical abuse you know, that's something I would never, sure. ever recommend yep. somebody stay in. But, you know, other than Great. that, it, it yep. that's the... Yeah. Right. I'm with you. But, you know, they're often talking more about course, scenarios emotional. where they're triggered and uncomfortable. And, yes. yeah, and, and it's not even emotional abuse. It's just perpetual triggering, triggering and... Um, in the presence of the other's personality, and you know, there, there, you know, there is something to be said. Sometimes I have a friend in a situation like this, and I say, you know what? Maybe you just don't like each other that much. <laughs> you know, right? Maybe that, it's that simple. It, it really is. Like you could say, what a concept! You don't like you know, each other. I love you, but I don't like you. I mean, I don't that's like the thing. you. You piss me off. You annoy me all the time. <laughs> just like a, you know, you really have to be there. Is that is that forward moving? You know. <laughs> So, you know, the more we look at the complexity of this and the inclusivity of it, the more we realize we don't have a specific answer for anybody other than ourselves. And You know, all we can do when people come to us, you know, if we're going to create a, I sometimes think because I define love elders in the back of the book, right. it'll develop a love elder program. And, you know, in, in, you know, I can see all the new cagers showing up and they're already telling me they're all love elders. And I say, well, the fact that you already think you're a love elder means you're not a love elder, probably. <laughs> Because really all this is about is inquiry, and you can't have people come in your room and tell them what to do. You really just have to know what questions to ask. I mean, that's really it, because you can't know their paths for them. And right. You know, it's just inquiry, and the broadest possible range of inquiry. And, of course, people don't want that. They want an answer. I do sessions. They want an answer. Should I leave him? Should I leave her? It's like, and unless, yeah. like you said, it's a very obvious scenario where abuse is present. Um, I, I, I just refuse to tell them what to do. It, me too. That, that's the yeah. one thing I will never tell somebody. It's like, yeah. I know you think you want somebody to tell you the answer, but <laughs> I've been on the other end where, you know, you think you're, t you're helping somebody and it like, you know, yeah. right back in your face. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's so often it, people are projecting their own stories onto right. their interpretation of the events anyway. And even those of us who work the hardest to separate out our transference are not always aware of how it's living itself out. And my biggest fear is being hunted by men in crossbows, so that's why I never <laughs> tell people what to do. I was so worried with this book that I was—they're all, you know—they're all going to be outside the house. I mean, I, you know, or somebody was going to be outside the house. But luckily, you know, it, it actually hasn't happened. I've actually had a lot of men write me already, and, and Good. books have such, yeah, with all kinds of. Well, you know, it might be their front to get me to coffee. Where <laughs> the crossbow comes up. I mean, this is, I guess what I'm saying is this is loaded stuff. I mean, this is, you know, this is loaded, yeah. you know, loaded material. We got to, we have to be courageous and jump on in, but we've still got to be careful and cautious. And, yeah. Because, uh, and protect. You know, we know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, this whole, I, I love the one thing you, you were talking about, divine preparation and the love-proof vest, but you realize that one of the way you avoided vulnerability was through drama. I mean, I think... You know, vulnerability. Right. When we right. really dive into our heart and be vulnerable, there's so much strength in that. But if we're just staying in our head, being vulnerable is very weak. Right. If it's more head-centered. Right. Absolutely. Right. See, but this these distinctions. I mean, this is 
you know, the subtlety of, you know, this is why they want to read Fifty Shades of Grey more than they want to read this book. Right. Um, I mean, this book obviously has more to offer anyone on a conscious relationship journey than that book did. But, but because, you know, once you open the door to the inquiry, that one right there, for example, the distinction between forms of vulnerability, you know, we got to create time and space in our life to really be with those questions. They're so subtle. It's so much about learning where you move from, what your intentionality is. And for most people, they have no space for these questions. And uh, I think there's more, people are creating more space than they used to for these questions. But at the same time, the culture was moving so much faster than it ever was before, which pulls us out and off of that. Alexander Lowen said in bioenergetic work I did with him, he said it's, before he died, he said it's too late. They're moving too quickly to do the deep work now. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think one way or the other, we're forced to, going to be forced to do the deeper work. And I think more people in the yoga world are doing the deeper work now on a psychological level. They're getting called out on the bypass more than ever before. So things are happening. Um, but, you know, if you get into the subtleties of where am I moving from and why am I staying in this, and you can find good answers in all kinds of different directions to stay or to go. And, uh, it has to come back to what your bones tell you. And most of us don't even hear our bones. So. Well, because we're so proficient at trying to analyze and to figure it out. It, I mean, it's all head-based. I mean, look at all right. of, you know. It's the culture. Yeah. Surviving by our wits, that's the culture. You know, so I, Lou Dude says in the book very clearly, excessive analysis perpetuates emotional paralysis. It's as clear as a bell. It's right yeah. there. But, you know, that doesn't mean the culture isn't vibrating like that and, and it's not a heart-centered culture. It's a fast-paced mind. And look, you know, you live, you live in Toronto. You want to buy a property in Toronto, you've got to pay $1.2 million for a shack now. So you are forced to stay in this. If you want to live that life, you are really forced in so many ways to move quickly and to outthink the opponent and survive by your wits. And, you know, the kind of work that you have to do in the relational field is not mind-centered. I mean, you're cognitive functioning is not the answer to these questions. It's it's these embodied, um, emotionally driven, culturally held patterns of relating and beliefs around relating and old unresolved pain. I mean, Stephen and Andrea Levine, I was just listening to this yoga of relationship. This they did with Sounds True that I think is fantastic. And they, they just talk about how much grief has accumulated in everybody on this planet and how we we just don't know how to release it as it comes. We never come back to a freshness of uh, appreciation feeling, really. You know, unless something hard or extreme or a terrible illness comes and we wake back up to the moment or something. And, you know, I mean, how are we going to maneuver relationship healthily if we don't even know how to deal with grief and anger, for example? You know, Now, if you're smart, you'll say this is the forum for it. This is the practice. This is where I'm going to go to learn all of this. Um, but, you know, it's not easy to persuade the world at large to do the relationship suffering journey as a spiritual practice. It, yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for years that the only way we grow is in relationships. And, of course, it doesn't just have to be romantic relationships. But, I mean, it's really the only thing that pushes us and if we're conscious enough and we want to grow, it has to happen in relationships. So I feel, so that's why I've always, I guess, had this, I don't know, belief that that's, you know, that's the connection that I want to create to, to do the most 
in my life. Like I think that that has the most power. And I guess I've always been able to see it. It hasn't always been able to be realized, but it's definitely like I, this whole detachment thing um, that you refer to, I, I totally am in agreement. I mean, if we're not in our bodies and we're not, yeah, you know, how can, you be, how can you be here now if you're not in your body? Right. I just don't get it. We're on a physical oh. planet. If we, if we, you know, yes, we're spiritual beings having, you know, a spiritual connection, but we're also spiritual beings having a physical connection. There's and, no distinction between having right. a human and a spiritual experience. This bifurcation of human and spiritual is the whole problem. Yeah. And I believe that this was born in two things. One, the desire to manipulate humanity, um, and the other piece is the, is the attempt to get away from the pain body. So, right. and then you have people presenting these models of pain body, you know, witnessing mm-hmm. as personal presence, uh, which is you know basically what there's. It's just dissociation being passed off as enlightenment. And this is the most dangerous thing in the world. The new cage movement. As much as we understand the value of certain new, what I call new cage or new age aphorisms, you know, like you know the mirror, or not to judgment don't ju- you know whatever there are places where these are of value to us as a swinging away from the other extreme polarity but there's also a point where they become ridiculously incongruent with common sense thinking and you know there's a lot of new cagers who are suiciding now because mm-hmm. their stuff has come back and they're now not emotionally equipped to deal with their material. They've been spent so many years being convinced their feelings are an illusion, their story's an illusion, their ego's not real, their body's not real, their identity's not real. Nothing is real except floating in the emptiness. Now, if that was true, we wouldn't have become here in human form. So these teachers are passing off detachment tools as a life. There's nothing wrong with detachment as a tool. It's essential. It's served me. It saved my own life, I'm sure. But ultimately, we've got to come back down into this body and work with what lives inside of us and stop dismissing it and disparaging it and shunning it and shaming it. Because really, what the new cagers and the ungrounded spiritualists are doing is the same shame trip of the self that the culture has done generally forever. Um, So that there really is no self worth honoring. And the psychologists are actually the healthiest ones because they're the ones who are saying it's important to heal the self and to feel good about the self and honor and love the self. And the problem is bridging it into spirituality. And, you know, for me, it's about finding that quest for essence or the unity connection and then finding your individual droplet of meaning in it. The more healthy I am in myself, the more I can bring to my ultimate sacred purpose and path. It's finding the bridge, what I call Western consciousness. And you know, we have to do it individually and relationally. It's all the same. We have to do it everywhere that we we do it. But, you know, there are so many forms of distraction in Western culture, and they aren't all materialism. They're also ungrounded spirituality and feathery spirituality and soft-touch, gooey spirituality and that completely ignores the fact that somebody just walked in the room in grief because someone died, and that's really real for them. Right. And that if they don't deal with it, it's going to actually kill them. So how spiritual is that to tell them that that is worth negating? You know? Right. 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 We're here for all of it. There's no way around it. You know, we, and all of these masters. I mean, Tolle says right at the beginning of Power Now, he's very honest. He says, I'm suicidal, and I found a mechanism one night, a little something, that he calls enlightenment and therapists call dissociation, where I was able to rise above and float away from it. And I sat on a park bench with a, in, in a bliss state for two years. So we, I know what my view on that is, that that saved his life, so we honor that. 
But let's not pretend that's a whole embodied experience of the now. Um, the whole embodied experience of the now is to be here for all of it, and that means we've got to do it in the relationships too. So I love you, I hate you. It's all coming up for me. So we can either leave the room once the I hate you comes and go do it again with the next person and suffer again and leave and have to decide whether to stay, or we can just stay here and do it right here, right now, so mm-hmm. long as there's something good here worth moving forward with. I mean, that's the key piece to remember, I think. And, mm-hmm. But, but it's know, hard. Relationships. This is a struggle, Laura. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's this. It's the same. It's all hard. It's hard to be here as an individual. It's hard to be here in a relationship. We're all struggling to get here before it's time to go. You know, right. and some of us aren't struggling as hard as others. Some of us are just determined to stay away from it until three seconds before they're going to die, and then they'll open the heart door and be vulnerable, and then they'll be gone. <laughs> Right, because it's safe right. then. They know they only right. have a few moments. You know, <laughs> but uh, if we want to be here for all of this individually and relationally, we've got to make everything a spiritual practice. And right. I think that's what this book was trying to say, and what I was trying to also, as many things I was clearly trying to say, this book said a lot, but I was yeah. trying very much to paint a picture of possibility for how profoundly, ultimately, life and world-changing dynamic can be. Love is the portal in the path but at the same time be entirely realistic about showing how much work has to be done to hold that gate open. Right. You know, and for Lowen too, not just for her, right. but that for Lowen too, that Lowen, as much as he was sure he was the healthier one and he was the healthier one, that doesn't mean he was healthy enough to sustain it. He had work to do too. Right. And, and let's face it, we all do. And, and I think I agree with your belief that the ones that can do it are the are the ones that, you know, create this sacred space that's kind of away from the world. I think, you know, the only way we can do it in the world is to really go through all of our, all of our stuff, all of our triggers and, and our triggers, you know, they don't release mentally. (laughs) Like, Like there is absolutely no way that we can heal if healing is even something we can do. I mean, I've even questioned that. We can Good come question. to a place Good of acceptance. Question. Yeah. Acceptance, yeah. maybe, but yeah. heal? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. You know, I think a lot, a lot about this. And I mean, I think ultimately the answer is for us to learn from all of the trauma on the planet, how to organize our world so that there's less trauma to begin with. Right. Because the idea of trying to go back into that material, which is in the body and in the cells and in the holdings, and to find some, I mean, we there are wonderful therapies out there that do some of this work, but to be able to do all of it, undo all of it, um, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I, I think you're right. For a lot of us, it's becoming, you know, there's some secondary um, patterns or issues that can be healed, and there's some emotional expression that can be unleashed, and there's some grief that can be outpoured, and, and transformation happens. But... But to change every one of the patterns and issues and so forth, some of them you just become aware of and learn how to sidestep. But the idea that they'll all be absolutely healed does feel a bit unrealistic. I think the ultimate work is to learn how to organize our world so that there's just less trauma. Um, and then we, then we don't have to worry about how to heal it. Right. You know, how to raise children, how to talk to each other, how to tend to feelings when they come up so that they're moved out right away rather than buried and repressed, which, as we know, that big becomes a giant barricade against reality, ultimately, and, and leads to madness, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, you know, and, and I get it why sometimes you just, like, I do this sometimes. There's this outlet mall now in Toronto, like near Trafalgar and the 401. So, I, you know, because I, I work right about pretty intense stuff. So, you know, and I can't get away from it if I try. But I, And I'm a goof, on the other hand, and that helps me to counterbalance, I think. And so, you know, I go to this mall. I go, I'm going to the outlet mall because I just want to be a, a shopper today. Um <laughs> And it's kind of like, if you've ever been to it, it's kind of like an outdoor mall. It feels like you're in Boca Raton, you know, and you're just going shopping, and you don't have a care in the world. And it usually works for about 35 minutes, you know, <laughs> until I feel, like, deeply bored and, like, I'm trying to avoid reality and what the hell am I doing here? But it is a very, very good 35 minutes. <laughs> Eddie Bauer rocks. <laughs> And those are what? Our distractions, our ways of, you Yeah, know. I guess. Or just maybe lightening up sometimes and yes. just buying a shirt. I mean, I don't know. We don't want to vilify. I mean, there's, you know, if you're doing it perpetually to avoid reality, but if you're doing it just because you enjoy going shopping for yourself once in a while, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's Well, just... you know, everybody says we're supposed to have fun and we make this so serious and... Right. And we do. Right. So that's the point. So on the one hand, we have all of this work to do, and that's true if we want to go farther on the path. On the other hand, so much of the work happens when we just relax and stop doing it. And right. I mean, it's just, you know, we're just, it's, everything's so damn complicated more, you know? <laughs> it's true. I know. Don't you just want to go to Timmy's and have a Boston cream donut and not think about anything for a while? Like, I'm going to do workshops with people where we're just going to be stupid for a weekend. And I, I think that it'll, they'll fill up in five minutes, these workshops. I agree. I think that's a brilliant idea. Thank like, you. Thank you. I'm yeah. Thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get, you know, everybody to agree what's, you know, Well, just, quirky, we'll figure but... out. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll do all kinds of different <laughs> forms of stupidity until you find your stupidity path. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> All right. So, so how did you? What was your? If I can ask you, um, mm. let's just turn it around. Okay. Um, what was your emotional experience of this book? Of the book? Yeah. I, was did it, you read the whole book or just parts of the book? Absolutely. Read it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, what was your, emotionally, I mean, you felt resonance with the oh, journey from I your own felt, experience? I felt so, so close to it. It just, I mean, obviously different, different, um, well, except your abandonment thing. I mean, that was, that's kind of been my life core issue. So, I mean, I really resonated powerfully with it. And I loved, you know, I loved how you were able to, you know, finally find some forgiveness in it i loved how you it's almost like you saw it from the bigger picture and i think um and i'm not going to say her last name right but jean the, Dr. Burke. yeah i mean she obviously was a piece of this that you actually you actually um did training and teaching with her right yeah, she was. She, I did my MA with her about right. a, an uncommon bond experience that I actually had, and I imported, she's gone now. But she, we really encouraged my writing for the right. last number of years. Yeah, so I imported her term and her concept, and her, you know, and her willingness to describe something soulmated—that is the uncommon bond. 
you know, with a recognition and, and the no, not sidestepping of the shadow element that emerges right. in these dynamics. And, you know, and to the me, they're a perfect seems... reflection of the human experience. Right, right. You know, it's all there. It's all there. <laughs> it's all there. I mean, it's a story that really grips you and helps you understand the, I guess, the pain. It's, I mean, we, it's the shadow. I mean, understanding that piece, knowing, you know, the grieving that you have to do, like it's really heart-wrenching. And, you know, going through the whole process, you know, with you again, maybe in a a different way. I mean, it, it helped part of that process with me as well. And then again, seeing it from that <coughs> higher perspective, understanding, you know, that maybe we're just not ready yet. We're getting closer because yeah. they're coming into our field, but you know, it's 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 hard. Authenticity is really like being aware yeah. and authentic. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> in, well, and in a culture that's not yet yeah, it's based to be on lines. Again. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, and and that really pushes is has there's a to be part of it is there's a. Um, not to encourage a, a degree of vulnerability that doesn't have charge or energy or strength to it, but I think, you know, in, in the many experiences I've had where I come into the deepest place of opening, um, I find that uh, when I come back to the culture, like go to Harbin Hot Springs and open and come back here, it's just too harsh and moving too quickly for me to be that open. It's, uh, it's too painful, actually. So, you know, as we unfold towards individually towards authenticity, we have to find ways to... Uh, soften the edges of the culture, the pace of the culture, the um, the volume of people, whatever it is that on a nervous system level is too much for us that takes us out of our hearts and puts us into vigilance um, is another thing that has to change in order to be able to hold the heart kit open. So sure, Sarah and Lowen could go to Boulder, Colorado and, and dance around or go to you know, a retreat center and make love in the temple while everybody was sleeping, but the moment they came to Kensington Market in Toronto, it became so difficult to feel that loving um, with that harsh vibration coming through the open heart portal and so it all has to happen and that's why I do agree, I do feel that you know, it it, it is uh, whether we're at the stage where an uncommon bond can be sustained, one of the things that Gene said is that you know, it, they seem to only be sustainable for people at an older age, part of that is the thing she said, and I think this is true because they weren't yet egoically developed enough when they were younger to be able to handle the merging and come back to a separate self. But I think the other part of it is often people, as they get older, slow down and are pulled out of the intense vibration of cultural participation so they can actually create a space. To, you know, I imagine being retired at 65, trying to do an uncommon bond. I feel like I got a way better shot out of it than I did at 28 while I'm trying to maneuver through the marketplace. Right. Right. right? Tough stuff. Yeah. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. So I think we got to be, you know, really honoring towards ourselves and, and, and compassionate towards each other whenever we try to do relationship. You know, I think this is what's missing. It's even when it screws up, if we just have a growth-oriented view. I got something. I'm coming closer to wholeness. I'm getting better prepared for a deeper connection. We'll stop being so angry at each other at all the messy ways we hurt each other at the end because it's so difficult to hold this gate open. And... But that's where, focus, right? that's where we focus, right? That's where we focus is the message. What a schmuck. Look what he did. He ruined exactly. it all. Did he ruin Did she? Did it? Is it? You know, I mean, look at this story. My, you know, this 
my journey in 1998, which lasted very little time period, um, but of course felt like it lasted forever, mm-hmm. was, you know, had a very, very messy termination. And it had to have a messy termination. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought, you know, I was going to go back to Armored Warrior and never speak again. <laughs> and ultimately, it turned me into a writer. It turned me into somebody who could write this book that's moving so quickly and helping so many people. And so if you do look at the experience and love forward the relational opening um, without fixating and getting lost in the fact that it didn't last forever, there is a lot of growth at the heart of it and a lot of gratitude. And uh, it doesn't mean you want to hang out with that person again, and it doesn't mean you respect every part of them. But at the same time, this you know, we, we this is difficult terrain and you know, we just have to recognize. Like when someone tries to walk through 300 miles of desert without water and they don't, you know, they make it to the other side, we go, wow, that's astonishing. We need to be able to say that to each other if we can last with one another in the heart of a trigger fest, you know. Right. It's, it's gutsy. <sighs> yes, and I like what you say about, you know, if we could stop seeing these endings as a failure because we're somehow measuring our self-worth Right. Um, in these right. relationships and that we see them as victories and, and necessary openings and to honor that courage to open to the possibilities of love. Yeah. Like that, that's right. that's right. huge. Love. What about just real gratitude and our attitude for having a love experience at all? Right. A lot of people never have one. You know, yes. they live a life of disconnect. And, uh, you know, and if you think also about working with clients, all of the horrible traumas that are perpetuated in the, in the name of uh, duty and obligation to stay in a union because that's what a good Christian does or that's what a good something does. Um, you know, it's just horrifying to see the abuses that people endure because they feel like they're no... Now, you know, how many abusers get, get off on the idea that they've now married someone who believes that they have to stick around no matter what? Yeah. So, and you know... To control yeah, them. Yeah, now they're locked in and I can do anything I want and she's not going nowhere. And, you know, it's so this expectation of how it's supposed to go down works in a shadowy way in a lot of different directions, not just by frustrating and making people feel like failures if they don't find. I mean, let alone the fact that not everybody has a, a purely relational not everybody is going to is here with a calling to do relationship and spiritual practice as their only or ultimate path. It's part of the path, but you know somebody might be here to do some profound work that's very self-oriented, but that is really remarkably impactful on the collective itself. And so you know, it's to me, it's about finding the path. It's not about finding the one. And yeah. if your path happens to intersect with the one. Get down on your knees every day and say thank you. And if it doesn't, it ain't the end of the world. It means maybe your path was to move in another, another direction where there's some joy and beauty there. And, uh, and I, so, you know, yeah, and maybe I question it just because we're not ready yet. But I question whether there's such a thing as the one. I, I have real issues the with the whole. The one. Yeah. Wow. The well, one. I mean. Yeah. Right. Right. This whole twin oh, flame no. thing, I, I I have serious issues with it. I don't Almost think every time I meet a twin flame couple, they feel like a brother and a sister to me. I don't <laughs> even know what they're talking about. These people, they look the same. I'm like, oh, you're siblings. You're all mixed up. You found your long lost sister. You schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, do, I have a problem believing that we aren't whole as I'm we are. Get in trouble for that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> you might. <laughs> well, 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 and even even if we accept that we're not whole, like we're not as actualized as humans as we could possibly be, um, that oh, doesn't sure. necessarily mean for every one of us that the answer to that question lies in the eyes of another. Right. Right. And even if it does, maybe not in this lifetime and all of that. And again, I just think if we all just come back to what I call sacred purpose, and for me, anywhere you're growing is your sacred purpose at that moment. If you just keep coming back to growth, wherever you're growing and expanding towards wholeness, towards a sense of at peace in your own skin, whether it's in the relational field, whether it's through polyamory, whether it's through monogamy, wherever that is, you are luckier than almost every survivalist on the planet who's defining everything according to what keeps them alive. So be thankful. And, um, you know, whether it happens to, if you're deeply satisfied, be, like when I get in the writing zone, I am just making love with the divine. And I'm, I'm not pining away for anything else. I don't need anything else at that moment. And I don't feel like a failure in that moment if I'm not in the room doing that with someone else. And because that, in that moment happens to be my portal and we all find our portals, you know. And I get that they have to intersect with humanity. I mean, even our callings often have a relational impact, but there's a lot of ways to go about growing on this planet. We just focused on growing um, instead of shaming ourselves for not being some other place or in somebody else's shoes. Um, you know, be a much happier world. Hmm. Yes. I, you know, I, it's, it's quite the journey. I love how you ended your words. It was may, may we meet her with our hands held together and our hearts intertwined, grateful and gracious forevermore. And that's ideally where we'd like to go and whether we get there in this life or whether we can have experiences of that. I mean, I think that's all we can ask for at this point is to have experiences that bring that essence yeah, to you know, us. We have such an armor, armored world, right? So yeah. if something, someone comes in your life that opens that heart, just go, you know, heart opening, grateful, heart opening, grateful, <laughs> heart opening, grateful. Yeah. Well, Jeff, this has been an amazing talk. I it's I can't believe we're like at the hour already. Um, I don't even know if we got through even a portion of what I wanted to talk about, but we certainly mentioned everything. So um, I may want to have you come back. But I loved uh, I loved our discussion. Yeah, me too. Come back anytime, Laura. Anytime. <laughs> I would always love connecting with you. All right, and obviously. What we need in the world are our, what did you call them? Our love, how did you put that? El- love elders. Love elders, that's it. That's what we need. So we're on the we call. Need we, we need them. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. You too. Bye. Have a question for Lori and want to be on the next news from the Heart Show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. News from the Heart is brought to you by Intuitive Soul and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org. 